Right, Romans chapter 12, and we're looking at verse 11. It says, Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time that we can look into your word here, God. I pray that your people are edified through it, Lord, and if need be, your people are convicted, and then you use that to convict them and then comfort them and cause them to obey you as your word tells us that you will do. We just ask now for understanding and wisdom as we look into your word, for without you blessing us with this, Lord, we would never understand. We just thank you for this time, God. In the name of Christ, amen. So by way of review, I'm not going to do a bunch of it, but you know, Romans 1 through 11, as we've already been through, that Paul has laid out doctrine for us, the, the, doc, the great doctrines of our, our faith. Um, we've seen the doctrine of justification, sanctification. We've seen election, reprobation. We've, we've seen all of this stuff as, as Gentiles being grafted into the, to the kingdom. Um, and now Paul's into the more practical application portion of Romans from 12 until the end of the book. And I, I'm sure I'll quote it during this. Um, but remember, he started the chapter with saying, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, so by those first 11 chapters, that's what I'm, I'm pointing back to those as the foundation for which I'm saying to act like this. If you believe this, act like this. And that's, where, that's kind of where we're at right here. So um, today we'll have three points. It's kind of nice. The verse is kind of laid out like three points. And that's the three points we're going to be looking at. Is I, I did a little alliteration with it, though. It's first point is hard working, the second point is hearts on fire, and the third point, I had to do a little alliteration on this, hirelings for the Lord. Uh, so the first point here is hard working. And let me say this again, I do not think Paul is just spouting out random commandments here. He doesn't go from teaching a systematic doctrine in chapters 1 through 11 to now all of a sudden just some random text. This all flows right one from another. Remember, he started this chapter with beseeching us by the mercies of God to present our bodies as a sacrifice to be conformed, to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then he's showing us how to do this. He commands us to do this. Now he's showing us how to do this uh, by using the gifts that God gave to us, to lay down our lives for the brethren, to give what we have to the church and to those among us. And this certainly doesn't just mean money, but the picture of the sacrifice is one that has no life to himself anymore, right? A sacrifice doesn't have life to himself anymore. That's the picture that Paul gives us. And that's what we have in Christ. Our life has been purchased by the blood of Christ and ought to be laid down for him and his bride. So laying down your life as a sacrifice is to use what God has given you for those among us. It's to lay down our lives for the brethren, as we already saw that last week. And in so doing, we are loving them without hypocrisy. We are being kindly affection toward one another. And we are abhorring the evil and cleaving to that which is good. 
So it's not like Paul is now going Tertius. Remember, Tertius is the one that actually wrote the letter. We, we'll see that when we get to chapter 16. Paul didn't pen the letter. Tertius did. But it was from the dictation of Paul. Paul is telling Tertius what the rights were. And it wasn't like Paul goes, okay, now Tertius, write this down. I have a new thought. I have a new commandment. And it's totally detached from the rest of what I've been saying, but I don't want to miss it. That's not what he's doing. This is tied right into this section here. So be not slothful in business is the first command there. It does not take us from our religious activity to now all of a sudden to our secular activity. Activity. It's not a total change in gear. This is something we must realize as Christians. The commentaries aren't in agreement on, on, on this either. Some say it's talking about secular duty. Some say it's talking about religious duty. I say, as a Christian, there is no secular duty. There is no divide. When I go to my job, it's not as though I turn off the religious switch and now I'm secular. And I know sometimes we act like that. And I believe that to be sinful acting. Let me say it like this. There's nothing you do in your life as a Christian that is not religious duty. You say my religious duty is on Sunday morning, but Monday morning I'm back to the secular and it means nothing for the kingdom. That's a lie. That's a lie that far too many Christians have believed and we need to stop it. When you clock into your job on Monday morning, it's work for the Lord. So I personally don't know how to separate this not slothful in business between these two realms that people make up. I will say that not slothful in business is all areas of life. So that's what I'll deal with here. When you're in the church, you're to use your gifts and work hard at it. When you're at your job, whatever it may be, you're to work hard at it. Whether you know this or not, but if you're lazy at your job, you'll also be lazy in the church. You may see it as hard work when you come to the church because you're working harder than what you are when you're at work, but I believe it's impossible to flip this switch. There's no switch that now I'm going to be a hard worker today. I've been lazy for five days or, you know, for two years and now I'm going to be a hard worker. If you're lazy five, six days a week, you don't become a hard worker on that one or two days that you're in the church. And I really don't even like our modern idea that church business is only an hour here or there during the week either. We should always be about the church's business. And I do think we as a church, as Faith Reformed Church right now, we're pretty decent at this as well. Most of us don't go from Sunday to Sunday without talking with or getting together with one another with our other brothers and sisters in the faith. We seem to keep in touch with one another and pray for one another and fellowship with one another even when we, when we aren't meeting together. And that's great, right? However, like I said, even when we are away from our church family, and we will be, we are to be hard workers for, for the kingdom's sake. We are not to be slothful. And I'll give you a couple reasons here. These could be subpoints, if you will. Subpoint A would be slothfulness is sin. And subpoint B would be laziness at work is theft. So the first point here, slothfulness is sin. The very act of being lazy is a sin that is condemned by Scripture. As if this command, this right here, not slothful in business, it wasn't enough. Let's look at some other scriptures to speak of this. Turn, to, turn with me back to the Proverbs, in ver, or Proverbs 18. 
Proverbs 18 and verse 9. says, he also that is slothful in his work is brother to him that is a great waster. Both of these here, slothfulness and wastefulness, are both seen as sin. Do you know why? Because both are being a bad steward of what God has given you. God has given you the ability to work and being lazy is a waste of that ability. You are to use that ability as best you can. You are not to be slothful. This word in Hebrew means it means to become helpless, to be slack, to be still or idle, to be weak. God has created man to work and has given us the, the ability to work, so we ought to work hard. You find a man that doesn't want to work, I'll show you a man that despises the Lord's calling. Even from the creation of man, Adam was to work the garden. Work wasn't because of the fall. Adam was supposed to work before the fall, and Adam was working before the fall. God didn't create man to be a slothful sluggard, but to work and to work hard for his glory. The unregenerate now are the only ones that should be known as sluggards. And slothful. This ought to not to be something that's spoken of about you as a Christian. Let's see another example of this. Turn, it's still there in Proverbs. Just turn back to chapter 6. In verse 6. This is King Solomon. He says, Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, having, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provides her meat in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will thou sleep, O sluggard? When will thou arise out of thy sleep? Yet a little sleep and a little slumber and a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that travaileth and thy want as an armed man. Solomon here is using one of the most in, insignificant creatures on earth, right? We don't even really notice the ants, do we? We walk around all the time, we don't even pay attention to the ants. We go about our day and we don't think about ants for the most part. They to us, for the most part, don't even exist. However, Solomon is saying, look at the ant. As insignificant as they are, they work. But notice what Solomon tells us about them. They don't need somebody there lording over them for them to work. They just do it. Now Solomon is saying, consider her ways. Not just to consider like, oh, I would consider it and then leave. But to, to see it, but to, to be like that. You see, even this small insect, this is, this is what, how we can put it. Solomon's saying, look at this small insect. It's outworking you. This thing that you think is insignificant that you could just step on and you don't even notice you stepped on it, it's outworking you, you slugger. That's what he's saying. 
So the idea is to be like the ant when working. I just recently, there's, there's a meme been going around and it shows this guy sitting at a desk and like his boss comes up and his boss says, why aren't you working? And the guy says, I didn't see you coming. That's sinful. It's sinful not to be the attitude of a Christian who is working for the Lord. We ought to be like the ant that doesn't need a guide or a ruler to do our job. We should be able to work as hard as we can without supervision. I don't need supervision. I'm going to work. I don't need you. I know what's the, what my job is. I'm going to go do my job the best that I can. And remember, I'm not separating this between the church and your workplace, wherever that is. We should not be sluggards in the workplace or in the church. And that's part of the problem that's in the church oftentimes, right? About 5 to 10% of the people do everything. While the other 90 to 95% sit and complain about the 5 to 10% that do everything. They're the armchair quarterbacks in the, in the church. However, this not, ought not to be the case. As Christians, we are called and commanded to be hard workers. Actually, in Ephesians chapter 2, right after, you know, most people's favorite verses for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourself is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The very next verse says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which he ordained before that we should walk in them. You're created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Your justification before God is not of works lest anyone should boast, but after being justified, we are to work and we are to work hard. So slothfulness is sin. The second portion is laziness. At work is theft. You might not have ever thought about that before, huh? If you are being a sluggard at work, you are actually stealing from your company. They hire you to work, not be lazy. They are paying you a wage based on the fact that you work. So sitting there doing nothing is stealing from them. Not only that, it gives them reason to blaspheme the name of God. You say you're a Christian, but you're lazy and stealing from my company. Your God must be a false God, right? When people see our work ethic, it should make them recognize that we work for the Lord. That it doesn't matter at the end of the day if my boss praises me or gives me a pat on the back. I know I'm working for God and He's already given me all things that, I'm, that I need. So here's the deal with this. Say, you go to take a job, no matter what it is, you are saying, I have covenanted with this company to do what they hired me to do. That's what you do. When you, when you started, you were covenanting with this company, I'm going to do what they hired me to do. So say it's, $20 an hour to clean pig stalls. I did that for $5 an hour 25 years ago. But if you're getting $20 an hour to clean pig stalls, you're saying, I will work as hard as I can to clean these pig stalls for $20 an hour. 
And you ought not complain about not making enough. Because you agreed to that price. When you said, I'll take this job, you agreed to the price that they offered you. And you ought not to complain about the job either because you agreed to come do the job. It doesn't matter how nasty it is. You agreed to it. You covenanted with them. Your, that's your word. And we ought to work as hard as we can in doing it. Not being lazy, not taking advantage of our employer, and in so doing, glorifying God through my hard work. So slothfulness is sin, and laziness at workplace is theft. Next, now to the next point. Hearts on fire. Notice from our text there in Romans 12, it said fervent in spirit. It said not slothfulness in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. In case you ever, th you haven't, you know, I can't memorize God's word. You can memorize that one, right? That's really easy to memorize. Not slothfulness in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. You can memorize it. This to be fervent in spirit means to be zealous. It means to be hot. It means if it's liquid, it, it should be boiling. If it's solid, it should be glowing. It's used to boiling anger, love, or zeal. And once again, I don't believe Paul is just making random statements. He's using this word fervent to give us a picture of what we should be like in our business, in our workings. Something that is true of boiling water or glowing metal, if we are around it. I, bet I was a welder for 10 years. I was around plenty of glowing metal. We take notice. It's somewhat scary sometimes, right? We want it controlled because if it touches us, it will leave a lasting impression, right? And I think that's what we ought to be the same in our business. We are, we are so zealous about it that people around us take notice and it leaves an impression on them. Remember, Jesus actually, I believe, I don't think I'm stretching at all on this. Matthew chapter 5, he says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We ought not to be hard workers for the glory of God so men notice us, but that they may notice the work. That's what he says, so that men may see your good works. Not you. And by knowing that we work for the Lord, in turn glorifying the Father which is in heaven. What this is not saying is that if I'm simply a hard worker in my secular job, men will get saved. That's not what it's saying. However, like I've already said, we cannot separate the two, secular from religious. Yes, you'll be a hard worker in your sec secular job, but you will also be there with the gospel. Presenting it to the lost around you, right? So we are to be fervent or zealous in spirit. We are to be blazing hot in our business. Not like the Laodiceans, right? Lukewarm. He said, I'd rather have you hot or cold, but you're lukewarm. You're useless. Hot was good. Cold was good. They could both be used. Lukewarm was bad. That's not what you're supposed to be like. You're supposed to be on fire. 
And once again, not just at your secular job, but also within the church, we should be known as zealous people. Let's see some of this from Scripture. Turn with me to Acts 18. Verse 25. Actually, I'm going to start at verse 24. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born of Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. Imagine that being if your name was there instead of Apollos. It says, this man was instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in the spirit. Same thing, right? He spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. In other words, our preaching should be with passion and zeal. Have you been around or in an environment when the preacher was preaching with such passion that it scared you? That you were afraid to speak with him afterwards? Almost that you would sit there and watch him speak and you were thinking, he is in another realm. It's scary. I don't want to go near him. I've been there. When the preacher was preaching with such fire that you almost thought the, the preacher was going to burst into flames if he didn't settle down. And I don't mean this stupid hooping and hollering that goes on in many pulpits across America. This fake fire, this fake zeal, this fake preaching trying to get an amen. I mean, he's expounding the Word of God correctly and it excites the preacher so much he almost cannot contain himself. He, like Jeremiah said, had his word in his heart as a burning fire shut up in his bones. That's zealous. That's fervent in preaching. What about this? Turn with me Colossians chapter 4. And I'm going to read this one and we're going to go jump right over to James too. So Colossians 4.12 Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, salutes you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he hath a great zeal for you and them that are in Laodicea and them in Hierapolis. Now turn over to James. You see right there, Epaphras, he was, he was laboring fervently in prayer. In James chapter 5, verse 16. It says, Confess your faults to one another. I'm going to stop there for a second. How often do we do this? That's a command. You know what we do? 
we get all dressed up, all nice and everything. We come into church as though everything's fine, right? Everything's perfect. I'm perfect. Confess your faults to one another. That's just being real with one another. And pray one for another. How am I supposed to pray for you if I don't even know any of your faults? That you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. You believe that? And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Fervent in prayer. Are you there? In your prayer closet? Are you fervent in the prayer closet? Are you zealous in there? Or is it just going through the motions? I mean, if anything, our fervency should come out in our prayer closet, should it not? When I'm preaching, I'm preaching before men. When I'm praying, I'm approaching the throne of God by myself. Even when I pray right here, None of y'all matter. I'm before the throne of God, and my fervency should come out more in my prayer. As James gives us the picture of Elijah, though he says he's a man of light passions, he prayed fervently and God answered. Do you think he just prayed, just kind of passing under his breath? Please, God, uh, let it not rain. I doubt that. We, we have somewhat of account for when he prayed for it to rain, he was praying, or when he, when he prayed for it to rain, he was praying and he sent Ahab out to look for the rain and it wasn't raining yet. So it hadn't rained for three and a half years and, and Elijah's like, I'm going to go and pray that it rains now. And he starts praying and sends Ahab out. Ahab comes back and says, there's no rain. He did it seven times. Sent him out seven times before it finally rained. So we can see that it wasn't just a short prayer. It wasn't just a, God, please let it rain today. It, it, was, it was for a long time. He had to send this guy out seven times to come back. And God answered it. Do you pray like that? Or do we pray, you know, so-and-so sick, let me just go ahead and say a word of prayer for you. And then be done with it and completely forget about it. I guarantee you this, if it was you that was sick, you'd be praying more than once for it. You'd be continually praying for it. You'd be fervent in prayer for it. So do you pray like that? Let's go over here to, or I'm kind of right there, 1 Peter 1, verse 22. So we've seen fervent in preaching, fervent in prayer. In verse 22 here, he says, Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Same thing, right? But to love fervently. Turn up to chapter 4 of the same book. In verse 8. 
If we could drill this verse, just drill it into our heads. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Fervent in love. That's what it means. That's what charity is. Fervent in charity. Fervent in love. To, be, to have this zeal for it. Is that you? Now this is not something that it's just talking about with your spouse, but within the church. That's why Paul or Peter says here, unfeigned love for the brethren. It's within the church. Or you have unfeigned love for the brethren. You have this fervent, zealous love for the brethren. Once again, have you ever been around that person that is zealous about love for the brethren? And it makes you feel somewhat awkward. Because we aren't being used to being loved by somebody like that. And you're almost thinking, do you really know me to love me this way? Do, can, how can you look past all this stuff and continue to love me? But here's the thing. We Christians, all of us, are supposed to love like that. We should be fervent in spirit and love for our brethren. So to move on here, we ought not to be slothful in business, all of our business, but we should be zealous about it. And why? Well, our third point, hirelings for the Lord. It says, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. This is why. This whole business, this whole previous section of this could be summed up in these words, serving the Lord. Why ought we to use our gifts and talents for the brethren? Because we are serving the Lord. Why ought we to let our love be without hypocrisy? Because we are serving the Lord. Why ought we not to be lazy? Because we are serving the Lord. Why ought we to be fervent in spirit? Because we are serving the Lord. This, could actually, this should take us back to verse 1. That it says, that is your reasonable service. That is your logical worship. That's your rational worship is serving the Lord. So our business is serving the Lord. This is why you can't separate your secular job from your religious duty. Turn with me to Ephesians. I know we're looking at a lot of verses today, but that's good. I'd rather hear God speak than me. Ephesians 6 and verse 5. Now it starts, it says servants in the KJV. This is a word that means slave. It's the same word that's used in Romans 12, 11 when it says serving the Lord, that we're your slaves to the Lord. So it says servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and singleness of heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Thought I had more. With goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall be received, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And back again to Colossians chapter 3, 
is a very similar passage, Colossians 3.22. It says, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. It's pretty much the same thing, right? Not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of your inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Now this is speaking about serving those you work for. In our day, that would be our employer, right? For the most part. Notice what it says though. Not with eye service as men pleasers. And this means exactly like it sounds. This is when we, we work harder when the boss is around and we're lazy when he's not. But it tells us with singleness of heart, fearing God. That's how we're supposed to work. If our work is unto the Lord, if we are serving the Lord in our business, what's something that's true about the Lord that's not true about our employer? The Lord's always there. He doesn't leave the room. All things are naked and open unto the eyes of Him we have to do. The Lord sees it all, and if our work is unto Him, we won't slack. You know the man that wrote these epistles? Romans, Colossians, Ephesians. He was in business as well. Paul, he was a tent maker. He made tents. So he's not just standing on the outside writing commands to the church. He is active and doing what he says. Let me ask you this. If you lived in the first century, who else would you go to to get a tent? I guarantee that Paul is one of the hardest workers you would know. And not only a hard worker, but a man of his word. So if he sold you a tent and it had a hole in it, he'd make it right. And the reason why I can say that without being there and watching him is because his service was unto the Lord. And this is what our mindset should be, always. Paul also states, I think it's 1 Corinthians 10, he says, What's, whether you, therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whatsoever you do. And how do we keep this mindset? How do we keep this mindset day in and day out? Here's how. We think on the Gospel. God sent forth His Son to take on flesh. To take on, as it says in Philippians, He took on the form of a servant. And in doing so, was born of a virgin. Remember when Jesus was at the temple at the age of 12, what He said. And his parents lost him. He said, why is it that you sought me? Did you not know I must be about my father's business? Jesus lived that out. Always serving his father. And he did so not to please men, but to please his father and to satisfy the requirements of the law. And he did satisfy them in your place, Christian. Then went to a cross to complete the work that was required to die for your sins. Not because the cross was a joy to Him, as we were speaking of before, 
service. He didn't skip to the cross because it was a joy to be nailed to that cross. But it does say for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What was the joy? The joy was on the other side of the cross, the resurrected and seated at the right hand of the Father. That's where the joy is. And the Father was bringing in a people that he was going to give to him and present to him as a bride. When he cried, it is finished. To tell us die. And died. The work was finished. The business was fulfilled. He had not only earned a perfect righteousness for his people, but he paid for their sins in full, then rose from the grave three days later and ascended to the throne where he's still working, making intercession for you. Let me ask you, in response to this, Ought we not to be the hardest workers on the planet? How could you look at the gospel and look at Christ and that, that died in your place, rose from the grave, ascended to the right hand of the Father, where He sat down victorious over death, sin, and hell, and He's making intercession for you, and you'd be a sluggard. And you'd be slothful. Ought we not to do all of our work as unto the Lord and for His glory? I would argue with you that this is where Paul is coming from in Romans. That's why he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, don't be slothful in business. Be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Upon these divine truths that have been laid out before you in Romans chapter 1 through 11, you ought not to be slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Let's get into our application. Our call to faith and repentance here. As always here to the unbeliever that's sitting in here this morning. You just heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you don't know him this morning, it's not accident, it's not an accident that you're here. The message of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ will either harden you this morning or it will soften you. Your heart will get harder this morning or you will repent and believe upon Him. And I pray it's the latter. I pray this morning that this message doesn't fall on deaf ears. Jesus Christ will receive the reward of His suffering. I pray you're part of that reward. It's not about working your way into the kingdom in case you're confused there. It's about the person and work of Jesus Christ. He already did all the work required for salvation. Your call is to believe upon Him. So I pray you do. God does not promise you another day on this earth. But He does promise that if you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll have eternal life. So believe upon Him. Until us believers in here to the brethren this is the mindset we are to have right we have to believe that everything we do is for the Lord now I know I mainly dealt with the workplace and church but that's not all of it is it it's not as though it's just our workplace that we go and clock in and spend 40 50 60 hours however many hours we go and when we come to church it's that in between time too 
I mean, we are to be hard workers at home, which I know we can struggle with, right? Especially if we're working hard at a job, and when we come home, it's our area of comfort. And I'll say rest and relaxation are definitely needed in this life. I would never say if you, you should work all the time, never stop working. There are times you need to rest and relax. But I don't think that's our problem, is that we work nonstop all the time and never stop. I think it's that we make an idol of comfort and relaxation. We, when I say we, I include myself in this. We sometimes don't move further than the fridge or the bathroom some days, right? At the end of the day, I count my steps and it says 12. And once again, maybe it's needed sometimes, right? Maybe you've worked so hard for so many days in a row that one day I'm like, I'm laying right here, I'm doing nothing all day, and I don't even want to get, actually get up to the fridge if my wife can get me something from the fridge. <laughs> However, it's when that's what we're known for. That's what people, including those in our family, know about us. Oh, he just sits around and does nothing. Now, I know this can be true of us at home sometimes, but this ought not ever to be true of us in the workplace. We ought to be there and ready to serve the Lord. That's the calling, and we must believe that. We must get this into our heads. When you clock in, I don't care what your company is, when you're clocking in, you're clocking in to serve the Lord, not your employer. Your employer may receive the benefits of you being fervent and spirit-serving the Lord, but at the end of the day, it's the Lord that matters, not your employer. Let me bring this up because we may forget this. The commands of Scripture are not simply for those between the ages of 18 and 65. They're for you children as well. What does slothful in business mean to you? Well, it means that when mom and dad ask something of you, you do it to the best of your ability. It means you seek to obey them in all things asked of you as long as it's not sinful, right? In the same way that I should obey my employer when he asks me to do something as long as it's not sinful. It means that life isn't always about playing. And unfortunately, you will learn that one day. But it's better to learn when you're young than to get hit in the face with it when you're older. And now also those that could be retired on the other end of the spectrum, right? Does this now mean that you, you do nothing but collect seashells and golf? Isn't that what we do here? Absolutely not. This is part of your life, this part of your life of being retired can be the most fruitful in working for the kingdom. You can lay down more of your life for the advancement of God's kingdom than you ever could before. Your life is the Lord's. Not just your youth, but all of it. You are no less useful to the kingdom because you're retired. You know, that's one thing that's true of the church. It's not really true of your employee, employment. 
There are many things that's true of the church and not true of your employment, but this is one thing. The older you get, the less useful you are to your employer, right? You get weaker and slower, and they could easily hire somebody that's 20 to replace you. Your mind may also start to be, come slowing down. And sometimes we get stubborn and stuck in our ways. But you know what? Your employer is always changing, right? However, in the church, you're always just as useful and in some ways more useful than that 20-something. You can constantly be working for the kingdom. You could actually put all of your focus on the advancement of it where the 20-something has to hold down a job. You don't have that distraction. While they are at work, you could be out evangelizing or feeding the hungry or taking care of the fatherless and widows. And you might say, everybody can do this. That may be true, but sometimes in life, we do our best just to make sure our little small family has dinner on the table. I'm working as hard as I can just to make sure there's, there's food on the table and we have a roof over our head and clothes on the children. Even if that means ramen noodles and peanut butter sandwiches, right? So our, all of our mindsets should be this. Zealously working hard for the Lord in all areas of life and repent of being a lazy sluggard in our call to war. I don't have much here because this whole message has been kind of a call to this. But brethren, do you believe that you're supposed to be hardworking for the Lord in all areas of life? If so, get to work. Remember this tomorrow when you clock into your job. This work is unto the Lord. It's for Him, and it doesn't, matter. it doesn't mean any less than the pastor or the deacon or the evangelist or whatever else. God uses His people in all walks of life. So no matter what it is, keep your mind focused on the gospel and His glory and do it for Him. And while you're at it, take forth the gospel message to others as well in your workplace. Right before the verse that I quoted earlier, let your light so shine before men, Jesus says, Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it gives light unto all that are in the house. Then he says, Let your light so shine before men. Don't hide it away, but be open about it. Speak forth the word of God and don't be ashamed. God has called you to do it, so just do it. But I might get fired, right? Is not the sovereign of the universe capable of providing another job for you? I'm scared to share Christ because I'm going to lose my job. The sovereign of the universe said, grab that fish right there. You need to pay your taxes. Open his mouth. There's your taxes. Remember that? Or do you think it's too hard for him? I don't know if he can provide another job like this one that I have. My thought is, if you get fired for it, God's going to provide something better for you. It says Psalm 34, 9, it says that those that fear God, there is no want or lack. To those that fear God, they lack nothing. And it also says in Psalm 23, 1, in which we know the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
which means I shall not have lack. I shall not, I don't lack anything. God takes care of his saints. He provides for us. And the ultimate reality is that he provides abundantly for his saints for the most part. Well, every single one of us could say that probably sitting in here. We all made it here today. So we all have vehicles. I didn't see anybody walking 10 miles to get here today. We had vehicles with AC. So let's come together and lay down our lives, working for God's glory and the advancement of His kingdom. Amen.